Father, we thank you for all the ways that you provide for us and sustain us. And today, as we continue to work our way through Acts, we pray you'll give us insight and understanding of this history that you have preserved and recorded for us so that we can have a better understanding of your plans and purposes and ultimately to love you more deeply. And so we uh, ask all this, give you all praise for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen. All right, y'all, we left off last week on page 59. And I know some of you are thinking I forgot about where we ended last week. I was hoping most of you would. Uh, yeah. Uh, now let me, before we, before we just jump right into things, let me, let's, let's first of all, look at your map right here. Let's look at the Paul Missionary Journeys map. We are in the middle of the first missionary journey uh, last week. We saw um, Paul and Barnabas go from Cyprus up to Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, up in the middle of Asia Minor up there. Paul preached his first sermon, really, really powerful sermon. He, uh, as we looked at it, he, um, he builds, takes parts of what Peter had preached. You know, of course, the Holy Spirit is working in all these men, giving them a very similar message. He, part of this sermon sounded like Peter, part of it sounded like Stephen, um, and part of it sounds like Paul. And so, you know, we're starting to see how the early message of the church is, is a unified uh, message centering on Jesus and the resurrection and the kingdom, forgiveness, uh, all of these different ideas. Paul added in the idea of justification last week. And we'll keep on tracing those things as we go along. Um, and then we, we, we ended up last week with a conclusion to that sermon and uh, if you look at your map, let me just remind you of where we are geographically. If, if you look there on your map, very first map, the first mission, Acts 13 through 14. This takes place um, somewhere in between 80, 46 and 47, about, about a two year period. And you can see in the map, they begin in Antioch over there on the right hand side of the map. They go across to the island of Cyprus. Salam, uh, Salamis and then Paphos and then they go up north to Antioch and we said probably the reason for that is they ran into a uh, ruler in Cyprus named Sergius Paulus and he had family up in Antioch and so more than likely he directed them to just to go straight up there and they would have some support and so forth and so on. So uh, Paul has just preached his sermon up there in Antioch and today we're going to see him go move on from there and go down to Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and then they're going to come back, uh, go back the way they came, and then ultimately return back over to Antioch. So uh, that's where we are geographically. Uh, you can see um, there, this is in a fairly contained area. Uh, people have asked me, I, I, uh, I didn't realize this until um, last week, I guess, that these maps, they don't really have, they don't have a scale on them. So you can see, uh, but a, a good scale that, that you can judge these distances is if you look in your map and you see Jerusalem, everybody knows where Jerusalem is down there. And then you look up to Antioch. Antioch is right about 250 miles north of Jerusalem. So you can see that distance there, right? And so when Paul and Barnabas are going to go from Antioch to Jerusalem and Jerusalem to Antioch, you know, they're, they're probably walking a good bit of that, 250 miles. Now think about that for a minute, you know. Uh, sometimes they're probably riding something, you know, they may be in a cart or whatever. We're not told exactly, but um, 
Part of it would have been walking. You know, they're definitely not taking the, the bus or the plane or anything like that. So, you know, I think Tom brought it up last week. It, it's going to take them some time to get to these different places. Um, so anyway, that, that just gives you some idea of the scale of that. Um, now, with that in mind, we finished up Paul's sermon last week and he ended on this note that I said I'd come back and talk about um, this week. And I'm not going to really talk about it at all. So I'm going to disappoint some of you. Uh, Acts 13:48. It, it, it ended with this after uh, after Paul and Barnabas have preached the, the gospel to the Jews and uh, they go out and the, uh, part of them get opposed and they go and they, they preach the uh, uh, gospel to the Gentiles and so forth. Uh, 1348, it says, now when the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and glorified um, the message of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed, right? And so everybody catches on that. All those who have been appointed to eternal life believed. And I will say a couple of things. Number one, this is a very controversial, complicated issue, right? People do not like this idea. I have a whole study on this. If you're interested, I can give you the link to it on the website. It's all about human responsibility and God's providence. But part of, part of what we have as Americans, we, uh, all of us Americans descended from people that came here because they didn't want anybody to tell them anything, right? You cannot tell me what to do. You can't tell me what taxes I need to pay, right? All of our ancestors are like that. And if you don't believe that, just think about the last two years. By golly, there ain't nobody going to tell me what I'm going to do, right? That's the American spirit. Right? We, we have, we are, our culture is largely shaped by this idea that we are in control of things, Reality is you and I are in control of absolutely nothing. You're, you, we are barely in control of ourselves, right? I mean, barely even. Con- you can ask Jill about that. I am barely in control of myself in most situations. The, the ancients had this view that life was controlled by the gods or the overseeing forces that were moving the world along. And the best thing that we could do is hope that they would be gracious and lenient and act in our favor, right? There was no illusion that they were actually in control of everything. So there's this mindset that the one true God, when we get to the Hebrew text and uh, Jesus and Paul, is that the Lord is moving everything along, right? The, the Lord is ultimately in control and he is doing as he pleases. The book of Acts is very clear on this, right? And we're especially going to see this when we, uh, more when we get into the missionary journeys as Paul and them are going around and the Holy Spirit will say, no, you can't go there or yeah, you need to go over there, right? So they're being directed by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so within that, uh, within that, you know, that larger context, we get down to this lower context and um, salvation and the work of salvation is God and God's alone, Right. All we do is respond to what he does in our lives. And and let me take that a step further and and say that the main idea here is, is that God is always the primary actor in everything. Right. He puts you in the right place to hear. And we're actually going to see this in uh, some of the sermons of Paul that's going to come up. In fact, one of my one of my favorite sermons is in Acts 17, where Paul is in Athens on Mars Hill. And he uh, he's making the line that there's only one God, one creator. And he says this really interesting thing. He says he has appointed uh, the times and the places for all the nations of the earth. 
And, and he did this, right? He, so what Paul is saying is he's placed everybody when they are and where they are, right? So, so you and I were born in the United States at this time, and we've lived this time, right? Because God has put us here at this time. And Paul says this, he did that so that we might search about and find God. He, he's put everybody where they need to be both in time. Now think about that. That'll blow your mind. He's put everybody where they need to be and when they need to be so that they have the maximum opportunity to search and find him. That's what I right. Right. He puts us in the right country, the right place. Yes. Because we're the body of Christ, we all have something to do. Well, and even beyond that, even beyond the body of Christ, he's put everybody, right. unbelievers too, to make sure that they have the maximum opportunity. Right? He, he is in control. Right? And so th this whole work is under the provision of God. And, and uh, <laughs> salvation is something that's done to us. Right? He, he, uh, Paul makes it very clear that it is by the grace of God that we even have faith. Our faith itself is a gift from him. And, and let me just say that, that Jesus, Jesus is the one that focuses this in the New Testament. And then Paul takes it and builds on it. Now, remember, Luke has spent a lot of time with Paul by the time we get to the writing of Acts. And you all know, when you hit Paul, this is all over the place. Ephesians 1, right? When did God set his love and affection on us? Before the foundation of the world, Right. When did he set us apart before the foundation of the world? <laughs> That's a long time ago. Y'all. That's before we were even conceived. Anything else. So so the, 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 the struggle that we have is and y'all and y'all just bear with me. I'm going to say this. And this is the last thing I'll say. If, if if we struggle with this idea that God is in control, literally of all things. Right. And it's causing us some turmoil. The thing that we're struggling with at the nucleus is, is that we don't really believe that God is truly wise and good. Because if we did, that wouldn't be a problem for us. Right? Because if God really is wise and good, then we can trust that whatever he does is wise and good, even overseeing all aspects of all of this. Right now, let me say this. A lot of people read this and they they, they get this sense that, you know, it's, it's this uh, locked in a box, predetermined, whatever, you know. And that, that's just not the way it's played out in Scripture here, right? In fact, uh, uh, if, if Paul believed that this is all just some kind of, you know, pre uh, what, what's the word? Uh, not, not necessarily predestination, but the, uh, uh, not destiny, golly, my mind just skipped on me. It's, it's the other word we use for fate and... I can't think of the word I'm trying to think of. Anyway, if it's just all, uh, if it's just all that, right, the whole, the whole pre-working of everything, uh, then why does Paul keep on going about preaching the gospel and arguing with people and, and trying to convince them? In, in Corinthians, I, I love it where he says, uh, we go out and we, we spend all of our time trying to convince people that Jesus is the Messiah, right, that he is the way to come to him. And so clearly you have this idea that as God, Paul goes out and preaches, and people respond to the gospel. And we'll, go, we'll have an episode here in just a minute that I think is a great ep, uh, illustration of some of the things we're going to talk about. Um, that as Paul goes out and preaches, these kind of statements are only made after the fact. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, Paul sees people respond to the gospel and it's, oh, well, they must have been appointed to that. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's not like, 
it's not like we can figure this out and there's some kind of, you know, blueprint or plan. So, uh, again, you know, the view of the New Testament is the Lord God is in control of all this and um, he calls us to trust him, you know, trust that he is really wise in overseeing this whole thing. Well, one of my favorite episodes in the Old Testament is uh, with Jonah. Uh, y'all remember the story of Jonah, right? He's sent to Nineveh. He runs the other way, gets out on the ocean. They throw him off a boat. He's swallowed by a great fish, right? And uh, where he has his salvation moment, he's in the belly of the fish, and there's a, there's, a, there's a prayer and a song that he sings in there. And, you know, it's like, Lord, I'm in trouble. Man, I'm swallowed. I'm at the bottom of the ocean. I'm in the belly of this fish. What in the world am I going to do? All I know is to call out to you. Be merciful to me. And the last thing that he says in that prayer is salvation belongs to Yahweh. And the idea there is the work of salvation is his alone. Right. That, that's what he possesses. Humanity does not possess the power and the work of salvation. You understand what I'm saying? And if you think about it, think about Jonah's position. He's in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the ocean. Right. If, if the fish comes up and spits him out, he's still in trouble. Right. Uh, so what in order for Jonah to be saved, he needs the fish to come up and spit him out somewhere close enough to land that he can get to it and be able to survive. You understand what I'm saying? How is Jonah going to be able to affect any of that? Not at all. He's completely at the mercy of the Lord. And when he calls on the Lord, what does the Lord do? He does that very thing. Right? You, you understand what I'm saying? So, so the, the, the New Testament is very un-American, you know. Um, and and y'all, I'm going I'm I'm to state this harshly, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. But the Lord really doesn't care what we think about anything. The Lord does not ask us about our plans and purposes, at least in terms of the big things. Now, now clearly, we're, we're going to see in a little bit that the Lord invites his people into uh, the decision making process and how some things are done. But in terms of these big picture things, uh, the Lord knows that we're made out of dust and that given all things and we're fallen people. Right. right? You and I, even being now believers, we're still fallen. We're not perfected, which means we do a lot of stupid things, make a lot of stupid decisions. We rebel against him still. Right? The Lord knows us well enough to know, let me take control because they don't know what they're doing. Right? And it's his mercy and grace that, that, that moves all these things along. You know? so, so for me, uh, I remember, y'all, the first time I ever heard these ideas of you know, predestination. And by the way, I, predestination is always used as a catch word for all this. And there's only two times that predestination is really talked about in the New Testament. Uh, and that is that, that the Lord predestines um, the point at which we will become believers and be adopted and the point at which we will be perfected in Christ's image. So in other words, he has set the beginning and the end of our journey so that everything in it is very secure. You know what I'm saying? Right. You're, you're going to get here and you're going to get here. So in the meantime, just joy the ride, right? It's, it's very free. Very, but the first time I ever heard these ideas, y'all will not believe this. Seventh grade Western Civ class, we were going through the Reformation and the teaching of the Calvinist. And y'all know where that is, right? It's very reformed, five points of Calvinism. In seventh grade, secular high school. And I remember thinking, oh, Lord, well, if God chooses who he wants to save, I don't have a chance. And then about, right? Because then, cause, right? Because then I'm making it about me. It's not about him, right? It's about his mercy and grace. You know, I'm never going to get there. And then about seven years later, it hit me. Oh, wait a minute. 
The only reason I have a chance is because it's about him. Right. It, it, that's the only reason, because in our fallen state, before the Lord turns the light bulbs on, we will rebel against him at every turn, at every turn. Right. And human history just proves that time and time again. Right. I mean, think about Peter here <laughs> in the middle of Acts. He's still denying the Lord. No, Lord, I'm not going to do that. No, Lord, not three times. No, Lord, I'm not going to do that. So, you know. Again, this is a huge concept, and that's, that's all I'm going to say about that. I've got, a, I've got a whole study on this, if you're interested in it, where, man, we look at everything and upset everybody and kick over everybody's apple cart. And, and, but by the end, I think everybody's happy. So if you're interested in, interested in that study, I can, I can get you the link to it. Uh, so let's, let's pick up um, with all that in the background. Page 60, we continue on the journey here. Um, Acts 13.49, it says, now, uh, it, so this is still in Antioch. It says, the message of the Lord spread through the whole region, but some Jews incited the prominent women who worshiped God and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. Uh, one of the things that Luke, uh, in a, not, he doesn't go out of his way to do, but, he, but he's very careful to bring this up, are the role of w the women in culture and society. And the thing that I want you to see here is that notice uh, the Jews incited who? The prominent women who worship God and some of the leading men from the uh, city. I, again, there's a lot of mythology about the way women were treated in the first century. And the reality is women rule, run, ran the show both in Roman society and also even within Judaism, within the diaspora. Often women... Um, were the ones who were the benefactors and ran part of the family business. And we'll see that here in just a little bit. Uh, so there, there's, yeah, there's a whole mythology about that. And the reason that the Jews incite the prominent women is they were the ones that got stuff done. Right? I mean, so uh, most of our negative views on women happened during the Victorian period in the West. You know, a lot of the things that are read back into the first century is just not true. I've, I've got a snippet that I'm going to print up and give to y'all as an extra set of notes, a guy talking about the role of women in the first century. Very, very fascinating. Uh, but I just wanted to mention that because as y'all know, Luke is always very careful to point out prominent women and, and the women that are going to be part of, of early Christianity. And we'll see, if, we'll see a few more things about that as we go. But anyway, these Jews, they, they incite um, these important people, significant people, and they stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. They expel them from their district. And they shook the dust off their feet against them, and they went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. If you remember Luke, uh, when he sent out the, the 12 and then the 72 in uh, 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 Israel, he would say, if you go to a city and it rejects the message, shake the dust off your feet, right? It was a sign of, okay, we've given you a chance. You've rejected it, so we're, we're, we're done with you. We're moving on elsewhere. And so that's, that's what they do. And that kind of keeps the missionary journeys moving along, right? They've made some disciples. They've been kicked out of the city. They move on to the next thing. So Acts 14, 1 through 7, it says the same thing happened in Iconium. They entered the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up and poisoned the minds of the Gentiles against the brothers. So they stayed there for some time and spoke boldly in reliance on the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace. 
by granting that signs and wonders be performed through them. So again, the, the speaking of the gospel is accompanied with these signs and wonders that give evidence to the power and the validity of the message, right? 14.4, now the people of the city were divided, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. Uh, circle the apostles there. This is, I think this is one of the first time this is mentioned. I'll say something about it in just a second. The apostles. Uh, now, when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to assault and stone them, they found out about it and fled to the Lyconian towns called Lystra and Derby and to the surrounding countryside. And there they kept evangelizing. Uh, on your map, if you still have that out, you can see those, um, you can see those cities there. Uh, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. There, they're, they're over to the right of Antioch. Uh, they've got kicked out of Antioch. They come down to Iconium, stir up trouble there, and then they go to Lystra and Derby, and they preach the gospel uh, there in those sections. And then we're going to have an episode in Lystra here in just a second. Anybody, any questions or comments on any of that so far? Talk about walking in the dust of the rabbi, like walking behind the rabbi. Mm, yeah, uh -huh. yeah, yeah. That was a common thing that the rabbis would talk about. Yeah, that their students need to be covered in the dust of the rabbi, right? In other words, you're following him so closely that yeah. the dust is getting on him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh huh. Anybody else questions or comments? All right, bottom of page 60, we get this really interesting episode in Lystra. Um, in Lystra, a man without strength in his feet came a lame from birth and who had never walked, sat and heard Paul speaking. After observing him closely and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he jumped up and he started to walk around. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Laconian language, the gods have come down to us in the form of men. And they started to call Barnabas Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the main speaker. And then the, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the town, brought oxen and garlands to the gates. He, with the crowds, intended to offer sacrifice. But the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, tore their robes when they heard this and rushed into the crowd, shouting. Let me stop right there. Let's make some comment on that, and then we'll look at what they say here. Um, first of all, let me start at the end. Notice in 1414 again, both Barnabas and Paul are called apostles. You see that? This, uh, the reason I bring this up is uh, I hear this, this being taught quite, not you know, if, if the subject comes up about the apostles, people will, will talk about what makes an apostle, and then they'll go to Acts in the beginning chapter where they have to replace Judas. You remember this? And they have qualifications that the man to replace Judas had to be with, with Jesus from John's baptism until after the resurrection. Right? He had to be a witness of all those things. And from that argument, they say, well, the only people that can be apostles would have to fit those qualifications. Right? But here's the problem. Paul and Barnabas are called apostles and they don't fit those qualifications. So... What so many people miss is that there are the 12, you follow me? Those who were witnesses with, of Jesus' ministry, right? And then there are other apostles. Uh, and, and the word apostle just means those who are sent out, right? Y'all tell me, what's the word we use for this today in the church? Missionaries. missionaries. It's just missionaries, right? People that, that are set apart by the Holy Spirit, um, 
sanctioned by the church to go out and take the gospel uh, to new regions, particularly to those who have never heard before, right? And so we, there's a lot of nonsense that I see taught about that, where people just don't look at the actual details of scriptures. Uh, part of, uh, Paul and Barnabas are called apostles. Timothy is going to be grouped into that a little bit later. Silas as well. And so, um, uh, you know, this is just, this is just the, the best word to use to describe these people. Now, I will say, uh, you know, Paul has had a really unique experience. Jesus has showed up to him personally, taught him in Arabia for a number of months or maybe even a year. Um, so there's some interesting things going on there. But this is also in reference to the fact uh, going back to Antioch, if you remember what happened, the Holy Spirit said to that church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have for them. And then the church laid its hands on them and they sent them out. So that's the basic idea there. These are men who were sent out for that. And I just wanted to mention that because I hear that. I hear people teach that kind of thing a lot. And it just doesn't square with what we have in uh, Acts here. Uh, a little bit of background uh, to this episode. Uh, really interesting. There's a, um, a Roman historian named Ovid. I don't know if you've heard of Ovid before. He's he's a fairly well-known name. If you got that, if you've ever looked at that Loeb collection of classic works, you know the red and green little books you used to see. Uh, Ovid is one of the ones that's mentioned. And uh, in Ovid, he records um, this myth that took place right here in this area uh, around Lystra, Iconium, Derby, in this province. And in the myth. Um, Zeus and Hermes come down in human form. Uh, also by the Roman names Jupiter and Mercury. You know, you have the, the Roman names for the gods and you have the Greek names for the gods. The, the Romans, uh, the Greeks came first and then the Romans, you know, replaced the names with their own people and whatnot. But in the myth, um, you know, in time past, uh, both Zeus and Hermes, same people that are mentioned here, they came down in human form and they were walking around and they came to this, they came to Lystra, this area, and they went from house after house to find a place to stay. And everybody rejected them except this old couple that had been living there forever and ever. And everybody knew who they were. And they brought them in and they fed them and they took care of them. And the end of the myth, uh, Zeus and Hermes come out and say, it's really good y'all did that because we're about to burn this whole place to the ground. And they destroy that area, but they spare the two that, that gave them shelter here, right? So already in their, um, in their you know, mythology uh, at this area, there's this story about Zeus and Hermes coming in human form, right? Uh, and even more interesting in, in, in archaeological excavations, there was actually found a, a pillar that had an inscription and an engraving on it that uh, has, you know, an image of Zeus and Hermes. And Zeus is presented as this old man with a beard and Hermes is this young man that's following along with him. And so most people think that, that because they think it's Zeus and Hermes, that might give us some indication of what Barnabas and Paul look like, right? Uh, you know, we think of Barnabas and Paul being, you know, equals here, but it's clear that Barnabas is the elder in this. Barnabas is the one who's kind of taken the lead on part of this first missionary journey. And clearly Paul is the younger guy. And the fact that, that Barnabas and Paul have come and Paul is the one that's speaking because Hermes was the one who spoke for Zeus. Right? <laughs> So they get to this situation and they think, you know, the people think, oh, wow, it's Zeus and Hermes. Man, we don't want this place to get burnt to the ground again. So we better, 
we better start sacrificing to them, right? So really interesting that that's in the background. Um, and this is exactly what they do with um, Barnabas and Saul here, or Barnabas and Paul. So 14, 15, look, look at what they do. Uh, notice Paul and Barnabas, they tear their robes. Uh, in, in Jewish culture, that was a sign of blasphemy. That if you remember when Jesus, remember at Jesus' trial before the high priest, and they, you know, he said, uh, the high priest asked him, uh, tell us plainly, are you, are you not the son of God? And Jesus said, well, you said it yourself, right? And even more than that, you're going to see me at the right hand of the power on high one day judging you. And he tore his robes, right? Yelling, blasphemy, blasphemy. So they, they tear their robes out of their Jewish tradition because they think these men are about to commit blasphemy, right? Worshiping them. And offering more than that, offering sacrifices to them rather than to God. So, yeah, so there. <laughs> I mean, imagine being in this situation if you're Paul and Barnabas. Like, Lord of mercy, what is going on now? Uh, 14, 15. This, this sermon, uh, again, it kind of foreshadows some of Paul's sermons where we we'll get to a little bit later. 14, 15, he says, men, why are you doing these things? We are men also with the same nature as you. And we are proclaiming good news to you that you should turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea and everything in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to go their way, although he did not leave himself without a witness, since he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. And even though they said all these things, they barely stopped the crowds from sacrificing to them, right? In other words, they said, listen, we, we're not gods. We're here to tell you about the one true God. And let me tell you how you can know who he is. Um, this sermon, there's snippets in that, just those few things that they say there is very close to what Paul preaches again in Acts 17 in Athens on Mars Hill in the Areopagus. And we'll talk more about that when we get over there. But, but notice how, um, notice a couple of things here. Again, they mentioned the good news. They talk about turning from worthless things. Those are clearly idols and idolatry. Paul is going to make a big deal about that. We're, we're going to have the same thing in Athens. Uh, if you remember that episode, Paul is going to be going around Athens and it's just filled with idols everywhere, temples and idols. And we'll talk about that. But I love it here. He calls them worthless things. Uh, they don't have any value in and of themselves. Who do you need to turn to? You need to turn to the, the living God. Um, oh, it's interesting. I haven't even made this connection. Um, in, in Jonah's prayer that I was just mentioning, um, when he's in the belly of the fish, one of the lines that I love in that, he, he says, um, uh, those who turn to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. It's kind of what Paul is saying here, right? Turn away from those worthless idols can't do anything to you. We know the one true God who made heaven, earth, the sea, everything in them, right? And in past generations, he's allowed the nations to go, but he, he left a witness for himself. Now, look at this. I, 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 I love this statement here. So in other words, God didn't try to try to pursue all the nations, right? He didn't try to try to, you know, give them all the scriptures and work in them the same way he did in Israel. Although he did do this, he left himself a witness and he did what is good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and happiness. Right? 
Look at all the good things that's happened to you. Think about how you've been able to survive. How have you been able to do it? Because the God, the one true God, he's provided those things for you. You remember Jesus talking about he provides rain. He gives rain to the just and the unjust, right? He takes care of the just and the unjust. It's one of God's witnesses uh, to, to people that he's there and that he's taking care of them. Uh, and, and again, we just get a little snippet of this, you know, them telling them, no, don't do that, don't do that. Uh, and they barely convince them to not sacrifice. And then in 1419, it gets amped up. Then some of the Jews from Antioch and Iconium, uh, uh, came from Antioch and, and Iconium, and when they had won over the crowds and stoned Paul, they dragged him out of the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples surrounded him, he got up and went into the town. And the next day they left with Barnabas uh, for Derby. Man, look at how that's just a sideline note. Oh, yeah, they got out of, got, you know, they got, they got rowdy and they stoned Paul, right? Drug him outside the city and thinking he was dead. Uh, there's some debate over whether Paul uh, was dead at this point or he was just, you know, knocked unconscious. We don't have enough detail, right? The, the disciples surround him. Uh, and then he got up and he went into the town. That's all we know. You know, some people think that he may have died. And then the disciples prayed and laid hands on him and he came back. Maybe uh, Luke just doesn't give us enough detail to know for sure. Uh, the main point is, is that they tried to kill him and they couldn't. And so he gets up and then he and Barnabas going down to Derby uh, to preach down there. So uh, really interesting episode. Um, and, you know, and, and part of part of what... Um, Luke is doing here. Let, let me show you. Let me show you where this is headed. Uh, if you look over, um, yeah. If you look over to page sixty-five in the new notes I gave you, we're, we're going to get here in just a second to the letter from the Jerusalem Council, and um, the, the the apostles and elders at Jerusalem are going to send this letter around to the churches, and they're in part they're going to send it with uh, Paul and Barnabas, along with some other men. And if you look down in verse um, 25, 1525 on page 65, he, the, the council says there, we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you uh, along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, verse 26, who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, part of what uh, gives credibility to Paul and Barnabas and these other disciples are the, are, the, uh, are the persecutions they endure and yet they keep going, right? I mean, how many of us, after we get stoned, we're thinking, you know, maybe it's time to go on back to Antioch, you know? Maybe we need to check in down at the uh, Ramada Inn and, and take a break and go on back. I don't think this is right, but what do they do? They get up and they go on down to Derby. Okay, well, that ain't, a stone ain't enough to stop us. Um, yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. I mean, know. Yeah. How did they just? Yeah. Oh, I think you did. Let's drag you yeah. inside. Yeah. Absolutely. Where is any authority? Yeah. Right. Right. Paul? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know that that in a, in a sense that in, in a lot of these in a lot of these provincial areas, you know, clearly you've got a Roman presence. But the Romans would kind of let them do their own thing as long as you pay your taxes and don't try to, you know, incite an insurrection or anything, you know. Um, I, you know, my, if, I don't know, that might solve some problems. 
if you thought, man, if I get too crazy, I might get stoned out here, you know? I, 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 I remember, I, I remember. <laughs> I know, I do. A little, a little. Uh, see, I grew up, I grew up, I grew up with a bunch of rednecks that I heard my grandfather and my great uncle say on more than one occasion. Uh, that man is so bad, I think the only thing good for him would be a good killing. You know? Um, yeah, people, but, but still, I mean, you, 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 you think of the idea of, man, uh, you just kill him and drag him outside the city. I mean, all, I mean, think about, yeah, today we'd all be in jail and everything else. Definitely a different time, man. Definitely a different time. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right, y'all, top page 62. Yo, yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. Sorry, I didn't hear you. <laughs> Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's what I was just talking about. That is that is his witness to people have been uh, doing good to them, uh, providing for them, rain, fruitful seasons. Right. That that's a witness that he's there, and that he's taking care of them. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Are right, anybody else? Anybody else? Uh, uh, yeah, uh, probably the, the, the context would, would, would provide for it. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I think so. Cause, yeah, because the Jews would, in extreme grief, they, they would tear their garments as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, it's, and, you know, and even it, uh, that, that's the way you, we might think about it is, is that that's also tied into the blasphemy thing of, you know, if uh, people are blaspheming, it causes such great grief, you know, that, that it's grieving you that you would do such a thing. You know, so that's kind of tied into the mourning, grieving thing. You know, this is, a, this is a terrible thing that's happened and we're, we're symbolizing it with that. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a good question. No, they would stone anybody anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this is this is someplace else. Yeah. All right. Top page sixty-two. Uh, so, so here we go. This is the end of this first journey. It says um, fourteen twenty-one through twenty-eight. After they had evangelized that town and made many disciples. So this is in Derby. So, so they evangelized there. They preached the good news. They make many disciples. They return to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch. So, see, they're going back the way they came probably a little bit surreptitiously at this point, right? And they're, and they're checking in, uh, 1422, strengthening, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to pass through many troubles on our way into the kingdom of God. Boy, that's an understatement, isn't it? Uh, the, the word that, that's uh, many troubles there is the word uh, tribulations that you often see in Scripture. Jesus talked about it. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to go through many tribulations, right? Um, same word that's used a lot in the book of Revelation about the persecutions that come. Uh, and, and that word can mean, you know, just trouble. In specific instances, it can mean persecution, which is kind of the idea here, um, that on our way to the kingdom, as we're going to the kingdom, we're going to pass through many persecutions and troubles. And we're going to see some more of that in Acts. So uh, 
and, and you know, this is, uh, this is one of the things that, that Paul takes up in his letters that, that um, speaks against a lot of the cultural ideas. You know, if you have a lot of trouble in your life and persecution, a lot of people would teach, well, you're not doing what God wants you to do. You're outside of the will of God, because if you were doing what God willed, then everything's going to work out okay. And Paul is saying here, no, listen, now doing the will of God might get you stoned. Right? It may not turn out well for you. Right? So it's, it's just a reminder that these hardships are not, are, not, are not telling you you're not doing what the Lord wants you to do. They're probably coming against you because you're doing what the Lord wants you to do. What do you say to Timothy? Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will will be persecuted, right? New, not pass, go, do not collect $100. That's going to, you know, it's, yeah, that's rough, yeah. Um, and then 1423, it says, when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the first time we have the mention of the elders um, here uh, in Acts. And of course, you know, they, they, uh, they, they uh, have a pretty significant role in the early church, uh, Paul has qualifications for the elders. This is the word, you may know this, but there are several different words that are often translated from elder. This is the word presbyteroi that the Presbyterians get their denominational name from, the Greek word. And this is the word that, that's often uh, used in terms of like the elders of a city or like the Jewish elders that we've seen earlier, right? It's, it's, a, it's a title that often pointed to somebody who had reached an age where they had acquired wisdom, you know. Uh, this is not something that you attain when you're 20 years old. It's something you got to have time to, to, to get to, right? Um, and uh, there, there, there are other words that Paul uses later, like um, the, the overseers and so forth and so on. We'll talk about those when we get there. But here it seems like Paul and Barnabas are just do, uh, still following this model of Judaism, and that is, we need uh, people who are mature to oversee things here, right? And so they, they and notice, they appoint them, which is really interesting, right? We just heard about those who were appointed to eternal life. Believe in now here, Paul and Barnabas uh, are appointing the elders, right? They're looking at these people and say, hey, you know, this one, this one, this one, uh, just to help them figure out the way things are going. Now, I'll say about later, we're going to have a big episode in Ephesus that's really significant that uh, helps us understand who these elders are. And we'll talk about that when we get there. 1424, it says, Now they passed through Pisidia, and they came to Pamphylia. And after they spoke the message in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been entrusted to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. There we go. Uh, this first round is done. After they arrived and gathered the church together, they reported everything God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a considerable time with the disciples. Uh, so here, the first missionary journey is done. You can see on the map there, uh, again, you know, the, the route that they take. They go through all that and then they circle back around and then they come back down and uh, they sail back over to Antioch where everything had first taken place. And that's going to set us up for this next big episode, probably um, the, 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 the pivotal chapter in Acts is Acts 15. Serious uh, things happen there. And it's all going to begin at Antioch, where Paul and Barnabas uh, wind, wind up now, back from where they were sent off. 
Uh, anybody, any questions or, or uh, uh, comments on any of that? I think all that's fairly simple to understand. You know, there, there's some cool, there's some cool language that uh, uh, Luke uses here just to take note of. Uh, in 14.27, the very end of the verse, God has opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. I love that, right? Uh, this first missionary journey has shown over and over again that, that God is opening the door, welcoming the Gentiles into the faith, right? Into, the, into following Christ and whatnot. And, and that's going to be the major issue that comes up in chapter 15 here. Uh, very important uh, things that happen. Uh, anybody, any questions or comments on any of that? All right, well, let's, let's, let's get into chapter 15 a little bit. This is, again, like I said, this is, most scholars say this is the most significant, crucial turning point in the book of Acts. And it's great because this is fairly easy to follow along with. So Acts 15, 1, it says, Now some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. So uh, here, because this is starting in another paragraph, it's not obvious, but they've come down from Judea to Antioch. Right where Paul and Barnabas are in the church there. And I think we've talked about it earlier. If you're leaving Jerusalem in that area, you're always going down. And if you're going towards Jerusalem, you're always going up. That's the way the Jews thought about it because Jerusalem was the most important city on the planet. Right. Uh, so here they, they come down from Judea and they say, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, Okay, is that what? Oh, is that what we're going to do here? Fifteen two. But after Barnabas, uh, Paul, and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, uh, the, the the old translation there, I like it. It says uh, after Paul and Barnabas uh, had engaged them in not little debate. Uh, in other words, they're fighting, right? They're going at it. Uh, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some of the others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. Uh, it's really interesting that they still see the Jerusalem church as being really important, central, kind of the, kind of the hub of everything that's going on. And so with this really significant controversy, right? I mean, this is a big deal. Think, think about this. Do we have to add something to faith in Jesus in order to be saved? Is it faith in Jesus plus circumcision? Is that, is that what we're doing here? So they're fighting. And y'all know the side Paul and Barnabas has taken. No, that's not what we need to do. So they decide to go to Jerusalem uh, to take it before the elders and the apostles that are there. 15.3, now when they had uh, sent, uh, when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they created great joy among all the brothers. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so the apostles and the elders assembled to consider this matter. Right. So this is the critical issue. Are, do the Gentiles need to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law, right? That's the critical issue. So is it going to be you need to believe in Jesus and do this, right? A lot of y'all have done milk to meat. This is the Christ plus nothing thing, right? Is it really Christ plus nothing else or is this Christ plus circumcision and keeping the Mosaic law? Which one is it? Pretty much. Yeah, you got to be Jews before you can really be a Christian, right? You got you to go through that whole process. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. So critical question. Uh, Acts 15, 7. Um, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. Now stop there for just a second. I, I want to show you something. Turn back over to your uh, chronology on page 9. Notice, notice that Peter says, Brothers, you're aware that in the early days, you see that? So in other words, this, this, this council has taken place sometime after Peter had preached to Cornelius and those at his house. Now, if you look at your chronology on page 9, if you, if you look down just below the middle of the page in A.D. 38, there, uh, this is after, shortly after Paul's conversion and so forth. Paul is back in Syria and Tarsus. If you remember, he went back there for a time. Uh, as best we can figure, uh, Peter preaches at Cornelius' house in A.D. 38. That's when he opens the door to the Gentiles, right? And then you go on down, you have Agrippa after that. Uh, Paul receives his thorn in the flesh, 42 through 44, 44. Peter leaves Jerusalem, uh, 46 through 40. There's a famine in Judea. Remember, we talked about a collection that was taken up for that. And then look. Paul's first missionary journey, A.D. 46 through 47. See that? Then you have in A.D. 48, Paul's second visit to Jerusalem. And then A.D. 48, Paul writes Galatians. Paul, Paul writes Galatians in between the end of chapter 14 and chapter 15. You know, I don't think he could have written that letter after chapter 15. So Paul writes his first letter to the Galatians in A.D. 48. And do you all remember what Galatians is about? Do the Gentiles have to be circumcised and keep the law in order to be believers? That's what that letter is about. And Paul's resounding answer to that in Galatians is all bleep no. Right? He says that very early on. Right? I don't know if you all know this, but Paul has some pretty, some pretty spicy words in his letters that all of your English uh, translations have just kind of undone for you, which, you know, fits with Paul. He's a very fiery personality. He's ready to go kill people and put them in prison for not going along with him, right? Early on, he changes after that. So he writes Galatians. And then notice this apostolic council that we have in Jerusalem, uh, scholars debate whether it's 48, 49. I think 49 is, is, is a good year for it based on some other things. So Acts 15, it takes place in AD 49, right? Now look back. When did pre Peter preach to Cornelius? 38, 11 years previous. But notice the first real mission to the Gentiles doesn't take place until 46 to 47 with Paul and Barnabas. Do you see that? So Peter and them didn't immediately go up and start going out into all those other, uh, other regions. It's not until the Holy Spirit leads the church at Antioch to do that, right? So there is a gap of time in between Peter opening the door uh, to the Gentiles, and then that really being confirmed in the missionary work of Barnabas and Paul. You, you follow what I'm saying there? And the other interesting thing is when they go back down to Jerusalem, apparently not everybody knows what Barnabas and Paul have been up to up there. As they're going back, they're telling everybody this is what happened. And when they get back down to Jerusalem, this is exactly what they're going to tell them. 
right? Uh, they're they're, they're going to fill them in as well if this is what happens. So Peter begins by saying, listen, y'all remember, I'm the one that God set apart to go and preach the, the gospel to the Gentiles, that it would be opened up to them. And then 15.8, uh, back on page 63, Peter goes on. It's really important to have that chronology to, to see where we are. 15.8, Peter goes on, he says, And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did us. Uh, you remember Peter's preaching and he, he, the Lord pours out the Holy Spirit on the Gentiles before Peter even finishes his message. And then after that, Peter and the others say, well, what keeps them from being baptized? Holy Spirit fell on them just like he fell on us. So, 15.9, so he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Circle that word, that phrase. That is one of the most powerful statements of what salvation looks like in the New Testament. Cleansing your heart by faith. Simply by believing in Jesus, right? So in other words, they weren't circumcised, right? They, they weren't even baptized when the Holy Spirit fell on them, right? 1510. No sinner's prayer. No, no sinner's prayer. It's just like, right? They believed, they yeah. Believed. Well, I guess it wasn't. Oh, yeah. Well, probably. Some of them, might have, some of the God fears, you know, that would have been in there may have still been tied into some of that. Um, and then I love this statement. This is Peter. Now, now remember, this is 10 years, right? This is 10 years after the Cornelius episode. And the man who's about to say this is the man who said, Lord, I've never eaten anything unclean or common. And I ain't about to start now. Right? He, he, he kept the law strenuously, right? And what does he say here 10 years later, 1510? Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear. Boom! Right? Nuclear bomb. What? Peter, what are you talking about? Peter, Peter, Peter doesn't just touch on circumcision. He's like, why would we want to put anybody under the law? None of us have ever been able to keep that. So why are we going to... We haven't done it. Why are we going to put it on the Gentiles? Are, are y'all serious with me right now? Right? Oh, man, I love Peter coming out on the Man, he, this is it, right? <laughs> it's Peter talking. 1511, on the contrary, we're believed that we're saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in the same way we are. Uh, now, look at, if, if you take all those things together that, that Peter says there, right? He's saying that we're saved through grace, through the grace of our Lord Jesus, by faith. That sounds a lot like Paul in his letters, right? Very similar ideas there. 5.12, then the whole assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul describing all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So here, uh, Peter gives witness, gives his input, uh, and then Paul and Barnabas get up and report on all that's happened to them, how they've preached and the... Gentiles have come to faith. And then this is what happens. Page 64. It says, now after they stop speaking, and, and the indication is there's some debate in all this. There's some going back and forth. And Luke, Luke has just given us the primary uh, issues that's taking place here. It says, now after they stopped speaking, James responded. Now this is James, uh, the Lord's brother. All right, this is James who writes the letter 
that has his name on it in the New Testament. Jesus' half-brother. Jesus' younger half-brother, right? Uh, he becomes a significant pillar in the early church. He was not a believer in Jesus while Jesus was doing his ministry. It wasn't until after the resurrection that he became a believer. And then he becomes very significant. So James stood up. He responded. And he said, brothers, listen to me. 1514, Simeon has reported. Uh, notice he, he uses the Hebrew form of, of Peter's name. Simon, Simeon, right? Uh, I think this is the only time in Acts that that name is used for Peter. Uh, so James uh, says, Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles or from the nations, you could say there, a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. After these things, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again. So the rest of humanity may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who are called by my name declares the Lord who does all these things. And this was known from long ago. That's a quote from Amos 9, 11 through 12. Uh, I'll come back next week and say something about that quote. I, I, I don't have time today, uh, but I'm going to come back and talk about that. Um, so notice, James says, well, y'all, this is exactly what the prophets talked about. Right? Even Amos, the prophet, said something about this, that the Lord was setting apart a people for his name among the Gentiles. 15.9, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. Uh, notice the prohibitions they give there. A lot of scholars have said this is a strange list of things. Abstain from things polluted by idols, sexual immorality, anything that has been strangled, and from blood. Um, uh, th through recent research, almost everybody believes now that uh, James is mentioning specific things that were always part of temple idolatry, uh, Greek and Roman temple idolatry. You'd have, you'd have the idols, you'd have things sacrificed to the idols. It was always in uh, sexual immorality was always involved. The, the, the word for sexual immorality is porneia, which uh, in a, most of the context that there's that word is used in. In Greek, there are several different words for sexual sins and whatnot. And, and porneia is more than often used uh, for activity with a prostitute, which was all part of the Roman religions, if you all know anything about that. Don't go read anything on it. You'll, you won't sleep well after you read it. Very, very, they're, they're out of control. So all of these things that they're talking about here are things related to pagan worship, right? To abstain from all these things. And if you abstain from these things, that means you can't be taking part in the temple worship services that the Romans and the Greeks would often take part in in some of the high uh, festivals. It, it, it's also interesting that Paul touches on uh, these things, both idolatry and immorality, in uh, his next couple of letters. In 1 Thessalonians, right, the letter that's, that, that's his next letter after Galatians, he commends them from turning from their idols to the one true God. Then in the next letter, 1 Corinthians, which is really 2 Corinthians, uh, he actually, um, he actually uh, tells them, you know, you need to flee immorality. And he talks about some immorality that's taking place in that. So that's a really big deal in the early church 
these Gentiles that are coming out of these pagan backgrounds. And one of the things that they're telling them to do here is you need to abstain from all those things. You, you can't follow Jesus and still do the pagan temples, right? That's basically what they're saying here. Um, now, we're, we're, we're right at time. Uh, on the next page, we'll come back and read this next week. They, they write this down in a letter and they send it out uh, back to Antioch and all the churches. If you look down at the bottom of page 65... Uh, let me just show you the, the conclusion of this. And I'm going to come back and read these next week because there's a couple of things in there we want to talk about. But Acts 15.30, it says, Now being sent off, they went down to Antioch. So this is, this is Paul and Barnabas and a couple of other people, Judas and Silas. Uh, they went down to Antioch and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. And when they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, right? And y'all know who rejoiced most in that cloud? All the men that are there, right? <laughs> Woo! Circumcision is off the table, boys, right? Uh, thank you, Jesus, right? Man, if there's nothing else, it'll make you cling to Jesus. If I'd be finding out that news, right? It's one thing I haven't done as a baby. It's another thing to be 40 years old. and Like, we're going to do what now? Uh, and then it says, 1532, both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and strengthened them with a long message. So, so you can see that this goes out. And it gets a great reception. Now, again, there's some things we want to talk about in those things that we skipped over. And I'll pick up right there next week. And we'll talk more about that. Uh, now, as we close out, any other uh, questions or comments on any of that? I'm going to write down where I am so I won't forget it right quick. All right, everybody tracking along okay? Everybody doing all right? Man, this hour just flies by, too. What? I, uh, it may feel like it crawls to y'all, but I feel like, zoom, we're here and then we're gone. All right, y'all, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll turn loose. Father, we again, we thank you for your word, and we, uh, we just rejoice at how powerfully it still communicates and speaks to us. Today, here's some 2,000 years after these events happened and after Luke recorded these things for us. And Lord, the, the thing that this most reminds me of is that we are, we are saved and redeemed and cleansed as a work of your grace and mercy that we simply receive by trust in you to believe that these things are actually true. And uh, Lord, what a blessing that is to be 2,000 years on this side of Jesus and the cross rather than 2,000 years on the other side where we would have known so little uh, about your plans and your works and how you're moving things along. And Lord, we, we thank you that you've seen fit to come to us and to get our attention and to wake us up and to draw us to yourself. And uh, just as Jesus himself said, many are called, but only few are chosen. And so, Lord, we thank you that you've worked your mercy and your grace in our lives in a way that's real and valid. And we can rejoice in that work, knowing that we don't have the wisdom or the goodness in and of ourselves to know what we actually ought to do at any, any time, any moment. And so we thank you for all these blessings and give you all praise for Jesus' great namesake. Amen.